Man, it is beautiful outside, isn't it? And it's just gorgeous weather. Looking forward to the spring. I just I got here and I thought, oh man, it is just beautiful here. And uh, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about something that I think all of us engage with at one time or another in our lives. We're going to talk about the topic of hope. We're going to talk about hope. Today's the sermon uh, message title is the audacious, the audacious Hope That We Have. The Audacious Hope That We Have. Now, if you think about hope, hope is really powerful. Just think about hope for just a second. It's one part vision. Hope is one part inspiration. It, hope is something that we can imagine. Something that's good that happens. Something that can inspire us. Something that can fuel us. Hope is this thing. It's like, wow, it's, it's kind of mysterious. But it can kind of call us on to other things. There's a lot of different layers when we think about hope. Now, we can hope for things. And sometimes we can hope for something as superfluous and superficial as something like a parking space. You're driving around you're trying to find a place to park and you're in the supermarket and you're, oh, man, I really hope I get a parking space. And if it's really hot and it's sunny, you really hope for a space that's in the shade. You hope for a space that, oh man, I hope it doesn't get too hot. I hope I can get a spot in the shade. But then sometimes our hope lands with things that are actually more needful than that. Things like, and I hope, I hope I can get a job or I hope I can find a place to live. Or I hope I'm able to afford this house. Maybe it's, I hope my kids can get into a good school. And I hope, I hope, I hope I... And then sometimes, actually, we carry deeply personal hopes. Sometimes I hope that I can find something meaningful and purposeful to do with my life. Sometimes I hope for better health. Sometimes I hope for more financial security. Sometimes I hope for good relationships with my family or with my friends or with my coworkers or if there's something that's broken at work. You go, man, I, I, hope, that, I hope that we can resolve this. I hope we can reconcile this. So sometimes we carry deeply personal hopes, hopes for our own lives, hopes for meaning, hopes for purpose. But then sometimes we carry hopes for other people. We carry hopes that other things will happen in the lives of other people that we know. I've been recently having, uh, been having a number of conversations with some of us here in our GRX community. And I know that there are people here, you carry hopes for your parents. You carry hopes that your parents will come to a saving faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I know our stories, that even as, as we are Christians and we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I know that there are some of us who are parents, they don't share that same hope. They don't share that same faith. And so I know as we've talked together that we hope, we carry a hope for someone else, someone else that we love. We carry hopes for our parents that our parents would come to know the saving grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So hope is this thing. We carry it. We carry it sometimes for ourselves. Sometimes we carry it for other people. 
And sometimes it's just, it's very superficial. And then sometimes it's deeply meaningful. And it's something that's just really, really close to our heart. There are two things that I'm wanting us to really look at for, for today. And it's that hope always carries with it these two critical questions. No matter what kind of hope you have, hope always carries with it two critical questions. The first question is this. What are we hoping for? What is the thing that we're hoping for? It might be something for ourselves, like we're hoping for purpose and meaning. Might be something that we're hoping for someone else, like our parents. We're hoping that our parents will come to know the love of Jesus Christ. So that's the first critical question. What are we hoping for? And then hope always carries the second part. Hope always has a a second part that says, what are we hoping in? What are we hoping in? What am I hoping for? What kind of outcome am I hoping for? And then what am I hoping in? What am I placing my hope in? in. This second part is a little bit more nuanced, what I'm hoping in. So let me try to illustrate it with just two brief illustrations. If I am hoping for security, let's say I'm hoping for financial security. And the way I'm hoping for that financial security is I'm hoping in my investments, I'm hoping in the money that I've set aside and maybe I've invested it a little bit in the market, in the stock market or something like that, the Dow or the NASDAQ or something. If I'm hoping for security and I'm hoping in my investments and the money to provide that, then my mood and my emotional well-being will rise and fall on the market. When the market's up, I'm feeling good about myself. I'm like, yeah, I am so awesome because the market's up. But then when the market's down and it's like, uh uh-oh, bubble time, and your money goes down, your restaurants go down, then your emotions go down. That kind of reveals a little bit of what we're hoping in. Right? Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? So if you're hoping in, you can kind of tell by how you feel. Or this, if I am hoping for meaning and purpose, and then I'm hoping in my job to give me that. This is the second illustration. I'm hoping in my job to give me that meaning and purpose. Then what happens when we lose our job? What happens when there's a downturn in the economy and the company has to downsize and we get let go from our job? If we are hoping in our job to give us meaning and purpose, then when we lose our job, we lose our meaning and purpose. That's why hope, if you're hoping for meaning and purpose and you place your hope in your job, that's why it's so critical to recognize in hope these two critical questions. Not only what are we hoping for, but what are we placing our hope in? What are we hoping for and what are we hoping in? The hope for life, for security, for meaning, and for purpose is found ultimately in one place. It's only found in one place. 
and it's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. It's only found in one person. And that person is Jesus Christ. This is the audacious hope of Christianity. This is the unique claim of Christianity that's audacious in our time. Because when you say that, when you say that all of the hopes for life, for purpose, for meaning, for significance, all of that are found in Jesus Christ, it's audacious because the rest of the world will say, what? You can't say that. Come on, I'm a postmodern. I'm a post-postmodern. You can't say that. You are making an exclusive claim here. You are making an exclusive claim about hope that all of our hope for life, for meaning, for purpose are found in Jesus Christ. But that's exactly what we're saying. That's exactly what Scripture tells us. That's exactly what our Christian faith tells us. And that's why it's such a bold and audacious and even for our time, a counter-cultural claim. If you stand up anywhere in culture and say, my hope for life and for purpose and meaning is in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, you're going to get people that are going to look at you and go, really? They're going to question that. They're going to challenge that. That's why it's the audacious hope that we have. That is the bold claim and hope that we have. The audacious hope of faith is that all our hopes for life are found in one person, in Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. That is what we proclaim. That is what Christians proclaim all around the world and all through the centuries. That claim is what we proclaim. Now today we're going to look a little bit more closely at this this bold hope, this audacious hope that we have, this hope that is in the life of every Christian. We're going to look at that. Now, we're going to actually look at that all through this week. As Terrence said already, today is Palm Sunday. Today is this first Sunday when we really look at this whole story of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at This classic text of this Sunday for Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ when he comes into Jerusalem. But today marks the beginning of this great story of hope. This great story of hope begins today. We're going to look today at when Jesus first comes into Jerusalem. And what happens is this week is what's called Holy Week. And we're going to look at the whole story throughout this whole week. And that's why this week at GRX, we're going to be having different events or different things that are going on. We're going to walk through the story of the hope of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So today is that first marker of that great Easter story. And it's the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We're going to look at that in a little bit. And then what we're going to look at on Friday This coming Friday at 7.30 at the Ministry Center, it's there in your bulletin, we're going to look at the Good Friday story. And this story, we're going to have seven people 
from GRX, seven people from among us who are going to offer seven reflections, very brief reflections, out of seven scenes from the passion of Jesus Christ. What happens when Jesus Christ gets betrayed and then arrested and then put on trial and then crucified and dies and gets put in the tomb? We're going to look at all of that. We're going to look at all of that in one service. It's a service of shadows and darkness on Friday night. It's Good Friday. It's going to be right here. We're going to walk through that with different ones of us from GRX giving reflections on that. We're going to look at that. And then on Saturday, we're going to look at this thing called Journey to the Cross, which is going to be at the ministry center. And that is, again, it's sort of an interactive, it's a family-friendly time where we're going to walk through these different scenes in the life of Jesus Christ. We're going to walk through that together. And that's going to be on Saturday. Again, we're going to tell that story of what is happening. What is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? And then all of this is going to culminate on Easter Sunday, which is next week. We're going to be here and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, who gives us eternal life because we put our full trust in him. Our hope for life and eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate next Easter. So this week, we're going to walk through all those events. We're going to walk through everything, and we're going to walk through all of that starting right now, this Sunday, with Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry when Jesus Christ comes in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage out of Luke. It's a bit of a longer passage, and then don't worry about it. I'm get, there's a lot of pieces in here. I'm going to explain some of the background of why um, this is so radical, and this is a message of hope. And actually, the crowd expresses tons of hope in this passage. So we're going to read it. I'm going to share about some background and share why this is so hopeful from the perspective of the crowd, what's going on. So Luke chapter 19 says this. And when Jesus had said these things, Jesus had done some teaching before. Jesus had done some teaching about some parables. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead and going, going up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is kind of up, so that's why they're going up to Jerusalem. It's actually a little bit of altitude, so that's where they're heading up. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, or sometimes called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. This is Jesus giving instructions to his disciples to go down into the village and get a colt, a donkey that no one has ever ridden on and to bring it up to him so he can ride on it. And then what happens is he's outside Jerusalem and what he's gonna, Jesus is going to sit on this donkey and then ride into Jerusalem. And I'm going to show you why that is so significant. Like for us, we're like, what? What does that mean? Like wild, ant- what, what is that? That has no context for us here. But I'm going to show you why that's so significant and why people are going, oh my gosh, that is Jesus Christ. That is the Messiah. That's our Savior. So hold on. The donkey is really significant in this. 
So, they, those who were sent, those disciples that were sent, went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, untying this donkey, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? It's a little bit like, dude, it's like you're stealing my car. It's like, it's like they're saying like, hey, go down there. You see that, uh, you see that Tesla Model S down there? I want you to go ahead and put the Slim Jim in it and just kind of pop the, and you know, just like drive it on up here. I'm gonna get it. It's like, why, what, what? You're taking my ride. People are like, you're ta- what? You're taking, but it happens just like Jesus says. They, they, uh, they say, the Lord has need of it. And it's like, oh, all right. Okay, that's cool. And they brought it up to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, that means their clothing, their outer garments on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. That's a sign of, that's a sign of, of, of honor. That's a sign of, of, of kingship. And they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing, I'm sorry, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. All right, so, so you, are you getting that scene? Jesus is sitting on this colt. The people are spreading out their garments before him, and he's walking into Jerusalem through the eastern side, through what's now called the Golden Gate. He's walking into the holy city, and the people are shouting, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king. Like they're praising this king this leader, this new leader coming into Jerusalem. Now, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Make them get quiet. Make them get quiet. Rebuke them. Tell them to shh, shh. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And even as he's going along, the people are still shouting, blessed is the king, blessed is the king, blessed is the king. And they're coming in and they're praising God. Okay, that's the scene. Man, there's a lot of stuff here to unpack. I'm gonna give you a little bit of background, but it's a huge, huge expression of hope for the people at this time in the first century. And this is why. This is why. First of all, Jerusalem is the seat of the holy city of all the Jewish people. That's where the king is expected to come in. And they are like, man, this is the high point of the city. So this is a critical place for them, for the Jews to celebrate. It is also the season of Passover. This is the time when everyone in the Jewish community goes up to Jerusalem to celebrate this famous feast. Now, some of you, if you have friends who are Jewish or know the Jewish community, you've probably heard of Passover. And I'm going to just explain briefly what Passover is and why it's such an important uh, symbol and feast for the Jewish community. And it would be so important for them in the first century. 
Passover is the feast of celebration that marks the time when God delivered the Jewish people from slavery and oppression in Egypt. It was a time when all of the Jewish people were enslaved to Pharaoh and in Egypt, and God delivered them through Moses, through the hand of Moses and through the 10 plagues. And the 10th plague, the 10th plague, it has to do with Passover, the 10th plague before the Egyptians would release the Jewish people, the 10th plague was that death would come to all of the firstborn children. See, Pharaoh wasn't releasing the Israelites from slavery. The Jewish people were not being released from oppression until the 10th plague happened. And when death came to the firstborn of all the families, death passed over all the Jewish community. And death only came to the Egyptian community. And because that death only came to them and it passed over all the Jewish people, the Egyptian leader, Pharaoh, said, get out of here. You, you Israelites, your God, get out of here. And that is through that sign that God delivered his people from oppression and from slavery and from political rule. Passover, death passed over. So when the Jewish people come and celebrate Passover, they're celebrating that God delivered them from the political oppressive rule of the Egyptians. That's so significant now in the time of Jesus, at this time when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, because the Jewish people in that time were also under political oppression. They were not under political oppression of the Egyptians. They were under the political oppression of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was oppressing and occupying this whole arena. So right now, when the Jewish people are celebrating Passover in Jerusalem, their high city, and they say, blessed is the king... They are making this powerful political statement. They are looking to throw off the Roman oppression in the same way that God threw off the Egyptian oppression. This is the time of Passover. This is what's going on right now. This is what's going on right now with the people. The people are also celebrating the mighty works They are also celebrating the mighty works that Jesus has already been doing. So they know that the power of God is with this man. They know that the power of God is upon this man. And they're expecting the Messiah, the Savior, to come with mighty works. And then they'll also know this. They'll also know that the Messiah will come according to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah, who's in the Old Testament, has this incredible prophecy about the Messiah, the Savior who will come and who will release all of Israel from their oppressors. Listen to this prophetic word from Zechariah 9.9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
Righteousness and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt. The foal of a donkey. In the prophet Zechariah, this prophetic word comes right after Zechariah is talking about how judgment, how God's judgment will be put on all the enemies of Israel. And they're expecting a Messiah to come. So God's going to judge their oppressors and then bring a Savior, a Messiah, who's going to be riding on a colt, on a donkey, into Jerusalem. So here comes Jesus in power, with the power of God on him. And he says, hey, there's a colt down there. There's a donkey. Go get that because I'm going to ride on that. The people are like, oh man, this is it. It's Passover when God delivered us from the Egyptians and now it's Passover again and God's going to deliver us from these Romans And then we got this Messiah and God's power is in him. And he said, get the colt. And that's just like Zechariah. Get the colt. We are celebrating a new king who's going to come and kick out these Romans. And God's kingdom is going to reign here. We're going to be delivered. We're going to be delivered and we're going to be saved. That's why the Pharisees are so bothered. That's why the Pharisees say to Jesus, teacher, tell your people to be quiet. Shh. The Romans are going to hear. I mean, you see the scene? You got Roman soldiers standing around with spears and swords. They are the political power and the political authority. They are the ones who have this whole region under control. By force. And then here are people going, here's our king, here's our king, here's our king, here's our Lord. No, 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 no. You only have one Lord, you only have one king, and he's in, he's Caesar, he's in Rome. We're, shh. See, the Pharisees are leaders, they're political leaders, they're religious leaders. If they start looking like there's gonna be a revolt, The Pharisees are like, man, the Romans are going to wipe us out. Shh, don't say anything. That's the background. And that's what's going on here. But Jesus' followers, they see Jesus. They know Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. And they say, you know what? We are going to follow this guy. We're going to follow this guy. And Jesus even affirms this. Jesus affirms this. Jesus says, hey, if, if these followers are quiet, the very stones are going to cry out. The very creation around us is going to cry out and confirm that I am the king, that I am the Lord, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior. Even the very earth will cry out. And so the people just keep going. Blessed is the king, blessed is the king, blessed is the king. And the people, they live their hope. 
These two critical questions about hope for the people here, they are hoping for salvation. They are hoping for deliverance. Deliverance from the Romans. Deliverance from oppression. Deliverance from that that, that situation that they've got. They are hoping for deliverance and salvation. And they're hoping in Jesus. Their hope is hope for salvation and their hope is in Jesus. Now you know, if you know the story, you know the story plays out a little differently. It's not for the political salvation that Jesus comes. But Jesus comes for the salvation for all of us, for our very lives. Not just for political, not just for political meanings, but for our emotional salvation, our relational salvation, our spiritual salvation, that all of our life isn't just here, but that for the salvation of our very lives, that we might have eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. So that's what he came for. That's the real salvation he came for. But the multitudes, the people around Jesus are displaying and living out their hope. They're crying out for their hope in God to deliver them, to save them. And their hope is in Jesus. And they're expressing that. I'm going to share one principle about hope that I think is key. And we see it in this passage. That our inward hope, whatever we have inward hope in, our inward hope is revealed in our outward actions. And that's what this series is about. We're talking about inside out. The things that are in us, how those get revealed in the outside world. How are the things that are deepest in us get expressed in the outer world, in the outside? And the people around Jesus had an inward hope for salvation, and that was expressed in their praise. And in their worship. Now their actions were politically very dangerous. Their actions were politically very, very costly. So much so that the Pharisees tried to keep them quiet. The Pharisees tried to keep them quiet. But the profound truth about hope is particularly true for the disciples of Jesus Christ. That this is a hope that we do not keep quiet. It's a hope that we are called to share with other people. Colossians 1.27 reminds us of this. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Your Eternal salvation is secure in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because it's Jesus Christ in you which is the hope for eternal glory. But like what I said at the beginning of this, uh, beginning of this message, this audacious hope for a post-Christian society is not necessarily a hope that is well-received. For the people in the first century, it was politically costly. For us in our community, it would also be costly. 
And in other parts of the world, this audacious hope is very, very costly. In a moment, I'm going to show a video where this audacious hope of Jesus Christ is played out in the life of one man. It's in a country where his hope can't be fully expressed. Not like we do here. And so for that reason, when you see the video, you're going to see their faces are going to be blurred out a little bit. So, Jeff, if you would, please, please uh, take a look at the screen. The world is in need of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. People are looking for a hope that they can be secure in. People are looking for a hope that gives their life meaning and purpose. People are looking for something greater than themselves to belong to. People are looking for something in this world that can make sense of everything around them that they see. All of this hope is found in Jesus Christ. And this is the audacious hope that we have as Christians. It's the hope that calls us outward beyond ourselves and to action towards others in the world, loving people and sharing with them the hope that we found. There's an author named C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and Screwtape Letters and a bunch of other books. He said this, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continually looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. We're meant to look towards heaven. We're meant to hope for heaven. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is, just like ignore people, whatever. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. You love the people around you. You share with them the hope of Jesus Christ because you think about the next world. That's what this was about. When you share your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is working with you and through you because as much as you love this person that you're sharing the hope of Jesus with, God loves them too. And God wants them to know them too. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory a hope that we're not meant to keep for ourselves, but to share with other people. And that's why GRX, we're praying towards Easter. It's next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter. Praying towards Easter by praying for the people around you and for God to give you an opportunity to invite someone to come to Easter. That God would give you opportunities to love people. That you might love them towards Jesus. If you love the people in your life, you're loving them towards the person who first loved us. And that's whose resurrection we celebrate at Easter. As you've been praying, as you've been thinking about, man, who is God laying on my heart to invite for Easter? 
We're going to end today just continuing to pray for God to give us opportunities to invite people to come and hear about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And you don't know. Maybe the person that God is prompting you to invite, maybe the Holy Spirit has already been working on them and they've maybe been wondering and maybe the person that you invite they may be at a point in their life where they are looking for something to hope in. They are looking for something to hope for. And our hope for life is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to affirm on Easter. That's what we celebrate. That's our joy. That's what we're praying towards Easter that not only us, but the whole world might find hope in Jesus Christ. Let me pray together for us, all right? Let's pray.